Welcome to NFT Sundays, a weekly conversation around art and technology, brought to you by Dementi and the Museum of Crypto Art. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with NFT Sundays and the lovely, as always, Maria Paula Fernandez, uh, currently building JPEG. Welcome, Maria. Hello, thank you for having me. Very exciting to be in touch with you again, Colborn. And yeah, super excited and uh, curious to see how this turns out. Thank you. You know, I always love when we come together, there is like always a bit of magic in these moments. So hopefully we can kind of like share those mm -hmm. personal conversations that we've been having with a, with a larger audience. I wanted to just start and ask you, um, if you'd please share like a bit about your background and, and what brought you into the NFT space and a bit about what you're doing now. Sure. So I started with NFTs actually in 2018, super early. Um, I've been working in blockchain since 2017, actually, but building a blockchain infrastructure. You know, I've uh, been employee number three at Polkadot. Uh, then I fell in love with the Ethereum community and I started working in Golem. And when I started working in Golem, uh, I ended up in Tokyo. Um, I'm telling this story because it's actually how I came across NFTs. Mm. So I was in Tokyo giving grants uh, via an Ethereum community fund. Uh, that was called actually Ethereum Community Fund. And in the hallways of the intercontinental Tokyo, the same, ones, uh, the same one that they shot uh, lost in Tokyo, I find this bearded guy, no, it wasn't Colborn. Uh, it was actually <laughs> Matt Condon. And I was like, what up? You know, you're one of the grant, uh, the grantees, congratulations. And I'm like, what, what's about your grant? Because, you know, at the time I only knew about infrastructure and I thought, you know, that that's, you know, the thing that I love. And I actually continue to love working on infrastructure. Um, and he told me, this is all about NFTs. He was building uh, very early stuff on NFTs and researching a lot. And uh, that's when it clicked to me, actually, you know, at 7 a.m. Uh, at the Tokyo Intercontinental, or I don't know which, which is the name, but it's a beautiful hotel. Uh, because, you know, I moved to Berlin and yeah, that's also something about me. I've been living in Berlin for nine years. I moved to Berlin because I wanted not only, a, you know, a better living for myself since I'm Argentinian, but also a really rich cultural landscape where you don't need much money to participate in. And when I hear about NFTs, um, it totally clicked because, you know, it was sort of, you know, the world that I was working in, uh, so blockchain and art, and they were converging at that moment. And I thought it was the most interesting thing in the world. And um, yeah, I was right, I think. You know, I started digging deeper and in September 2018, I also helped Matt and very early NFT pioneers, including Billy Rennekamp uh, from Clover's Network mm. and a bunch of others create their, uh, one of the first uh, NFT conferences uh, where Song A Day actually uh, made a song about NFTs. And uh, yeah, from there on, I tried to participate on as many conversations. I tried to learn as much as possible. I have a nonprofit here in Berlin, uh, the Department of Decentralization or DOD, through which I do hackathons and cultural events. So I've always uh, been trying to integrate NFTs into our practice. 
So in April 2019, I published alongside Stina Gustafsson and Fanny Lacoubet, the first sort of academic paper on blockchain art covering very lively NFTs. And then from there, I went on to publish a second one. This was between 2020 and 2021. And I was having a lot of uh, trouble updating it. And I was like, what's happening? You know, like, I don't get it. Like, why are all these people now talking about NFTs? And right when, you know, I was trying to update this and it was so hard to update it that the process took about like seven months after we finished the paper. It was when I was like, okay, you know, actually like NFTs have finally uh, picked up steam and I better do something about my knowledge. So that's when I started looking into, you know, which kind of businesses could add a value to the space and could focus on long-term thinking and building a valuable infrastructure and things that artists would find useful and uh, obviously the adjacent community as well through Twitter DMs, because I was still in the middle of lockdown here in Berlin, I met Trent, the co-founder of JPEG and uh, Sam, the other co-founder, and we immediately clicked and started building. There's a lot I want to unpack there, but I have to first ask you, tell us please what JPEG does. So JPEG is essentially, at the moment, it's a platform uh, through which everyone and anyone can create their NFTs exhibitions. The cool thing is that uh, it's not based on your wallet. You can uh, choose any NFT within the Ethereum ecosystem at the moment. You know, maybe later we expand to other ecosystems. You know, there's very exciting things going on on Tesla's and others. And you can create your, you know, your galleries. Um, and we also launched uh, just on Monday the possibility to also uh, sell uh, via plugging into Zora. Not only people can create their galleries because they're interested, because you know they want to pay tribute to an artist, because they want to archive a particular moment in the history of NFTs, but also artists can set up their own storefronts and galleries can create the digital version of uh, the, their IRL shows, for example. Yeah, as somebody, you know, like in, in this mu museum, right? And in the context of this, there is a constant struggle to me in deciding what does it mean to curate? What does it mean to give people the power to curate? And why is it so important in this space when the speed of digital creation is so rapid and it's so responsive very much to the moment? There is, in my opinion, such a need for this technology and there's a tremendous like gap that needs to be filled by people that are taking the artworks out putting them together explaining context and depth i think you know what you are working on is incredibly prescient and it's something that everybody is asking for right because a lot of people do not know where to go the marketplaces feel overwhelming they cannot understand this they need more like context and story why do you feel that this is important for the space? I feel it's important because of many reasons. Like, you know, the first one, of course, you know, in the light of the oversupply and, you know, the erasure of the scarcity that once NFT were actually, you know, trying to propose, it's important for us to have better tools for discovery. And the better tools for discovery, of course, have to be in the fashion of 
actually the environment that we're in, that it's, you know, the Web3 ecosystem. People go build their galleries and that those galleries create an interest graph that helps uh, with, uh, you know, discovery. In the future, obviously, we will add also data initiatives so people can index all the NFTs out there better. And we will begin to see gradually that because of things like the community efforts of Mocha and, you know, the different community bubbles happening on JPEG and whatnot, we will start to see a more forum industry. NFTs, whether we like it or not, are right now are an industry that, you know, it's amassing billions. So there is absolutely no justification for the chaos that, right. you know, it's right now happening. So, you know, if we want to really professionalize this industry and, you know, get credibility and build for the future, uh, have better tools for archiving, discovery, then, you know, we have to actually focus on curation. And look, it's exceptionally chaotic right now. There was a moment in time where like art stood alone and it led the space and, you know, it was a, a hallmark of what it was, I think since then it's been diluting, right? And I think there are people trying to like step up and kind of professionalize and present like the art and the artists and the intention very thoughtfully of who we are as a crypto culture. So maybe you can like rewind us to the beginning and what inspired you about this culture that made you kind of like understand NFTs as a visual language to express this? So the first thing that inspired me was actually the possibility to uh, improve the problems with uh, provenance mm. in the traditional art space. I've always been interested in, you know, forgery and how provenance works for anyone that doesn't know how it works. It works like this. Someone has a picture of something, you know, and they say, yep, this is Da Vinci. Why? Because, you know, a friend told me and, you know, this happened obviously, you know, like many years ago. And then there's museums that say, yeah, I think this is Da Vinci. And then there's, you know, a collector that comes and says, yeah, you know, it's Da Vinci. But then, you know, and obviously, you know, now there's different procedures where you can check the pigments and, you know, the style, you know, that will certify all of these. But it's never, never perfect. And you're right. It solves that. Yeah. Also not fully because, you know, we need to build like the infrastructure that supports the storage of the assets. Uh, you know, for example, uh, in NFTs, the provenance question is a little bit murky or, you know, in the example of some of the systems were really early. So they didn't really think of, you know, how to attribute correctly to artists. We have immutable and completely traceable uh, systems. So, you know, we should use them and, you know, all of the rest are using them. That's what uh, brought me into NFTs. And then, of course, I discovered also that there were artists that were using blockchain as a medium. And that was, you know, even more fascinating to me because, you know, to be able to use a technology like you would use um, Pencil, that's, you know, sort of amazing. And, you know, smart contracts are incredibly versatile, programmable. And, you know, I got very into artists that use instructions, uh, paper instructions, and tried to conceptualize that and uh, see what would have happened if that artist would have done, you know, smart contracts instead of, you know, paper instructions. And sort of that's where it all clicked for me. 
Yeah, I mean, do we want to maybe talk about a couple of those early projects? Um, you know, Kevin Abosh's bank book with the the the, the keys inside of it, uh, like Rhea Myers, My Soul, Nilly Coins, the experiments on on Counterparty. Like, there's there's a very rich history of not just NFT for NFT's sake, but of experimenting on the blockchain and doing different things, conceptual artworks with tokens or or with printed. Um, you know, documents that just like relate and connect with the medium. All to say it's not like particularly a new art practice because of NFTs. There were people examining and, and looking at it prior to like the development of a token standard. Absolutely. Um, you know, for example, now that I'm trying to study more about net art, um, I'm, a, you know, I've been really in love with a project that uses eBay as a part of the infrastructure for a, for that particular project, uh, you know, and they use eBay actually, you know, so the artist would, you know, auction on eBay and, uh, you know, on a particular uh, period of time, and then all the pieces combined would make a gallery. Um, it was by Maria Laura Giardini. I think it was Exchange, the name. And so, you know, the use of different platforms as a medium is obviously not new, Integrating technology into the artistic production is very important because it's the way that we have to sort of explain how technology affects our society. So, you know, I think the use of, you know, something as programmable and as immutable as a smart contract speaks as well of, you know, a world where, you know, nothing is immutable. You know, the very early projects, actually, when the NFT token, sta uh, token standard didn't exist, um, you know, used ERC-20. Mitchell Chan uh, used ERC-20 and then later actually NFT the certificates. And, you know, we have also Jonas Lund, who issued a token for his artistic practice. So every time someone would purchase a piece, they would also get a token. And, you know, it could have been a physical piece or right now he's launching NFTs and still giving tokens. Mm -hmm. And then you can just uh, vote on his uh, practice and, you know, decide what he's going to do with an exhibition or so. Kevin Abosh as well, you know, yeah. uh, I am a coin. He minted coins of his own blood. And all of this was done, you know, on ERC-20. While, of course, they were efforts as well on creating, you know, immutable provenance and yes. uh, that came first than, you know, the the art and uh, also, you know, using the concept of smart contracts to create art uh, like Rhea did before. So, you know, there's many ways that you can actually use uh, the technology. It doesn't have to be NFTs and they're all really fascinating. I agree with that and i want to go back to something that you touched on because we also we have one of the like original x copy pieces from rareart.io in which you know the ipfs link died right so the artwork is no longer connected to that token we're in possession of the token we have like a copy of the artwork but it is no longer attached i want to maybe like talk to you and investigate that part of it as well. What What is that relationship to you? In this case, like, what is the value of the token? What is the value of the artwork? What should be like the proper interplay between those? Almost like a best practice question from your eye. From my perspective, uh, they're tied. There's no way that the both things can be separated. Um, the same happened to me, actually, but uh, in the other way. So I lost 
the token because it was uh, on a very rudimentary sort of like internal wallet mm. for a project. And uh, I have the artwork, you know, it's interesting. And, you know, now that this happened to me as well, I, and I don't have the certificate of authenticity, of course, you know, I can just tell the artist, hey, you know, like he knows that I had that problem as well. Yeah. So, but there's no way to separate them, you know. Um, of course, I have a beautiful digital art piece that I can put, display in an even more beautiful screen and it will look stunning, but it's an incomplete artwork. Some people say that, you know, NFTs are certificates of authenticity. I've seen the people that are commercializing the souvenirs for the British Museum mm. say buy certificate of authenticity. But I don't think that's it, actually. You know, the good thing is that, you know, opinions are free uh, and approach it <laughs> uh, can be manifold. So, you know, we can have it both. Of course, you know, we should also build our own standards and say, you know, this is actually what, uh, you know, the canon that we're trying to build says it's art. And, you know, if the MoMA does that, um, then why can't we do it as well? I want to shift gears a bit here and begin to talk about, one, Berlin as a city. And then I mm. also kind of want to ask you about uh, Argentina and the creativity that's happening there, because I think that's an incredible crypto art moment. All of our developers are in Berlin as well. This is a city I've never been to. I am dying to go and meet everybody and be there because it seems also that like the lifeblood of the Ethereum community is is in this city. So will you just kind of talk about this, like why Berlin and, and what this culture is that kind of feeds this appreciation for, for the art? So, you know, as many might know, of course, um, Berlin was a city that was destroyed until very recently because it got wiped by the war, uh, by the World War uh, II. You know, the, the city was completely divided. Um, it was into pieces. And after the, the fall of the wall, um, you know, the city continued to be, you know, shattered. Uh, but the really great thing was that because it was the cheapest and it's still the cheapest city in Germany, um, amazing musicians and amazing uh, artists from all over the world, including, you know, the artist David Bowie started to migrate to Berlin and started building an amazing and, you know, probably the best cultural scene in Europe in, you know, in our time. Uh, so, you know, everything was happening here. They didn't need that much money. It was a largely lawless city as well. And, you know, everything was possible. So, you know, from taking over a World War II bunker to create a club to, you know, live with very little money, you know, you could do it for years and years and years. And later, you know, when uh, Berlin started to build itself, we, we had startups and we had a lot of things going on. Culture and more specifically nightlife uh, continued to be, you know, the main drivers for people to come to Berlin. This obviously cemented the appreciation of culture in Berlin. So, you know, it's a city that thrived only on culture. Mm. And then people got attracted by it, you know, by culture. And, you know, they even use, uh, our, you know, like the street arts and the clubs as, you know, marketing tactics. So, you know, it's still really present, even if, you know, 
right, right now we have a fully built city, uh, rent is expensive and whatnot. It's still like that. And with regards to uh, crypto, you know, Berlin is also very anti-establishment. Mm. Um, we have a lot of people that uh, hate Google. We have a lot of hacker culture as well. Yeah. We have hacker spaces. Um, you know, the biggest hacker conference actually happens in Germany, in Leipzig. And uh, Berlin has a lot of, you know, alternative culture in this regard as well. So the first uh, paid in Bitcoin bar was actually in Berlin. Uh, it was called Room 77 and now it closed. And uh, I think the story goes like, you know, Gavin uh, was coming to Berlin and he fell in love with the city. You know, he thought that everything was fantastic here. Um, you know, at the time they were forming the Ethereum Foundation. So, you know, they proposed to set up the European, you know, the DevUG here yeah. to host all the developers. Um, because, you know, while the foundation is set up in Zug, uh, Switzerland, no one, <laughs> no one can afford living in Switzerland, but everyone, you know, can afford living in Berlin with a developer salary, of course. Both cultures have, been, you know, tech and art are uh, very tied together now. And, you know, even in our East Berlin festivals, we always try to capture both things. So, you know, people would come to Berlin attracted by by the full package, not only, you know, by, you know, having, you know, this mythical story of Ethereum. Crypto is very work hard, play hard, right? And like fast rewards lead to like a, a fast release. And it's just like a beautiful, dynamic, ever-changing city. Uh, we see this movement to like more of a digital nomad lifestyle. And it's such a focal point that draws like a lot of Europe. And I think we're seeing more of these from like Berlin to Lisbon, New York. Like we're seeing um, these, these Web3 hubs emerge where the lifestyle and culture of the community is being like adapted and reworked to fit these more wild and free cities. And let's, can we, can we talk about like the tie into Argentina just because I just did an oh God, yeah. yeah, I just did an episode with the head of Crypto Arch, Crypto the Argentina. It's about 200 artists um, that have come together and have adopted more of a community oriented approach to their art. And I see the same spirit. So I'm, I'm just wondering if there's anything that you see in that culture that you'd like to share. I left Argentina nine years ago because I couldn't handle the mismanagement and the lack of access and possibilities that we had. And, you know, I was quite young and I didn't want my future to be, you know, bound by debt and inflation like my parents. My generation uh, and, you know, the ones that didn't have the choice to actually uh, leave or didn't want to leave are uh, turning into crypto because, you know, crypto offers the unparalleled advantage of, you know, not needing to fear that, you know, uh, you know, your assets will be, you know, worth nothing in with the next political downturn. Argentina has been in an in a crisis for the past 100 years. So and, you know, we have had periods of horrible inf hyperinflation. Right now, inflation is very, very high, but it's not hyper. So, you know, you can go to sleep knowing that, you know, diapers will be worth the same in the morning, but it's very hard to cope with all of these, you know, it's very hard to see how everything changes all the time and there's never a sense of stability. And you have no agency over this. There's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter how hard you work. 
um, you know, back then I was working 14 hours a a day in a US based company. I had a really good job and my salary was worth nothing. In a climate of such uh, uncertainty, you need you need alternatives, and you know you're pushed towards alternatives. I, I noticed that a lot of the names from developers that I was interacting with or that I saw on GitHub were actually like sort of Argentinian style names. So I was like, oh, this is interesting, you know. And I started talking with them, and I even went uh, to Buenos Aires on an Ethereum conference, and I noticed, you know, the the community is vibrant. All of these guys were using Bitcoin from very early. They they trust uh, that you know at least with this particular uh, you know realm and industry we have agency. You know we can change what we don't want. You know we can work very hard and get somewhere. That core assumption is already really important. It doesn't matter if you know they are coders or they're uh, decentralized financiers yeah. or if they're artists. We we all crave uh, stability and agency to grow. It's, it just goes back to the like fundamental idea that code is law, right? And you, you it can entrust and know what the Bitcoin programming is going to do with the inflation schedule, right? That there are only 21 million Bitcoin, right? That this is going to be something that will sit. And while it might be volatile, you know, up and down swings through the market, like over the long term, it is a better alternative to fiat currency or the fact that you could wake up in the morning and just be crushed by inflation. I heard that story so much from the artists and it's so interesting to see that like subject and thematic for most of them is like body, shape, identity, chaos, surrealism, like very Dali-esque. Because I think it speaks to like the fear, frustration and anxiety of this shifting landscape. And crypto really is a lifeline that brings them into uh, this this world. And I think just like some of the, the best, most innovative art is coming out of Buenos Aires in Argentina. And I would encourage everybody to, you know, go look at the work of Frenetic Void and Milton Sands. Uh, crypto baby vixen and maybe this is a good segue because they're also working on this wonderful satirical profile picture project called game disease and i don't know if you're familiar with it but i i love the the creativity and like the poking fun at profile picture projects through like their creation of a game of like broken astronaut helmets and clown noses and rats that like scurry around and all kind of like the frenetic behavior, uh, degenerate nature of these markets. You know, there's a really good political parallelism to Argentina in that. During the 90s, we had a period of artificial overabundance. How did this happen? Well, you know, we had like very incompetent government as always of course but this time they decided to sell everything that uh, was owned by the government you know trains um you know electricity gas like every absolutely everything and they decided to sell it and privatize it and then what we had was you know like maybe you know four years of like extreme overabundance in which people got 
so ridiculous. You know, we would go to Miami and buy multiple TVs and, you know, do all of the things that just don't make sense in a period where, you know, you're under the assumption that you are rich and that you have possibilities, you know. Um, so this gesture that they're doing, you know, I, even if I haven't checked the, the PFPs, but I already know, you know, what, what their thematic is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's nice because I think a lot of people, they, they get pulled into the casino and they get pulled into this fast life and they don't understand. It's like people that walk into a casino generally for the first time, they lose all their money. But I think there is a practicality and awareness from just like the extremes of life in uh, a place like Argentina, which lends a sensibility and perspective that is very insightful and is very prescient about like where we're going, how we're evolving, how we're augmenting with the digital. And like, it is very, for me, like edge of the world and they can just kind of see and peer into the future a little bit further. Absolutely. You know, we know we're aware of like overabundance and artificial, uh, you know, abundance in the end. You know, it's very, you know, and this is something that worries me. And of, of course, you know, I'm sure it worries you as well. You know, this like right now, it seems like an infinite, infinite printing machine. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we've seen it also, you know, with the, with the 2008 financial crash, you know. There's a, there's, you know, after you print and print and print and, you know, synthesize and. I see so many parallels to 2017 and the ICO boom, right? Where there were people in the beginning who had wonderful ideas, who were working very diligently. And then it was just like copycat after copycat after copycat. ICO drops would be sold out because bots would take everything up. They'd like get it into an exchange. They would pump it. They would dump it. And here we are again, like the profile, the quality has exceptionally deteriorated, like more bigger brands have come in. They've spent the entire budget on marketing, right? They just like buy Twitter followers, do giveaways, uh, drive attention and eyeballs, get everybody, you know, really just put it into bots and then real people have to buy on secondary and then it just crashes. It's, it's, it's really crazy. You know, uh, the with the ICO fever, it was also, you know, like completely made up uh, business ideas that had no, held no water. People were buying everything. You know, they thought that it's they were going to strike gold. Utility. Utility. Yes. Or like, like now, you know, like apparently utility is like a hot selling point for NFTs. But, you know, after the, the ICO crash, after the dot-com crash actually came, you know, relatively good things. You know, we, we experienced a time of, you know, great technological uh, growth. Uh, after the dot-com crash, uh, something's not very good, you know, like Facebook uh, that actually destroyed society. But, you know, uh, economically did well. And, <laughs> and then, you know, after the ICO crash, what we got was a more regulations. So there's not such a lawlessness uh, environment. Yep. In spite of, you know, having a crypto anarchist heart, I uh, welcome because I think that helps us, you know, professionalize. Yep. And of course, you know, we experienced a great bear market where NFTs were, were born and we were able to, you know, solidify our ideas and what we were building and why we were building and if it was worth to stay in the industry. And that also really worked. Yeah. And let's let's turn the attention there and like kind of 
close it on some some very positive things and like the things that we think are going to kind of carry this industry forward into the future. For one, like I very much believe and respect and want all artists to have 10% royalties on secondary sales. That is a fundamental shift. There is certainly a like disintermediation of galleries, middle people, um, whereby the artist is connecting with their collectors, right? Having, having a bond and receiving more of the lion's share of the value for their artwork. So maybe you just want to like, you know, explain some of these things that you think will survive what I'm sure is an inevitable bear market as these things go. Um, and we'll begin to like kind of pave that foundation for, for a brighter NFT future. You know, definitely uh, royalties, as you say, uh, is, you know, like right now, the most important, uh, you know, piece of uh, the puzzle that uh, will continue to solidify. And, you know, not only for, uh, not only the way that, you know, we do secondary, but also uh, this is helping as well, the traditional art market uh, realize mm. that, you know, 50-50 splits, that they used to do with artists probably will no longer work and they really will need to rethink all of this because there's another market that they can tap and they can you know probably own their uh, the the whole you know stake so i think it's important for many uh for many reasons you know not only for agency on secondary and royalties but also you know thinking how like the whole grand scheme uh, works Obviously, the, you know, the, the knowledge about, uh, you know, uh, not only immutable smart contracts, but also uh, resistance storage and all of the awareness mm-hmm. that has been uh, brought up to light, even after, you know, several very helpful rug pulls, scammers actually pu- pulling the digital assets and then replacing it for something else and running a bunch of people that actually created awareness on the uh, fragility of the systems and made artists think, oh, uh, think, okay, actually it's important for my audience to know where I'm storing things uh, because I want to be trustworthy. So that was also incredibly important as well as, you know, understanding there's value in uh, on-chain as well, uh, not only on-chain programmability that I already have mentioned, but also on-chain storage and the different ways uh, on through which you can also create images on chain. Yeah. I think this uh, current hype has pushed the envelope on many, many things that are extremely positive. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, the problem with uh, oversupply and, you know, the dilution of art through PFPs will be also one of them because, you know, we will be like digitally throwing away so much trash. Uh, I want to just speak to like one project on that note because it it reminded me it was very early on. It was called rugs.wtf and it was like a generative mint where there was a rug in a 3D room. And then one day they literally did a rug pool and all you had left was just the room. And I think like that was very formative and conceptual as to like, what are people buying? What do you own? Like we can change this at any time. And the project from the beginning was was kind of like a giant middle finger. It might have been released, I don't know, nine months to a year ago. And I'm sure it's worth obviously zero right now. But, but that was just for me like, uh, yeah, that was interesting. 
And I think yeah, so you know, that's a way to express also, you know, there was an artist, neither confirm it's the name mm. and they created a, you know, a drop, they sold it and then they replaced all the images with pictures of rugs. And then they made a thread saying, you know, actually your infrastructure and the way you're doing things sucks. This yeah. is what I did. I actually created a JPEG exhibition on rug pools. And I included a bunch of them, if you're interested. I want to see that. And I want (laughs) to shout out one more that I thought was super interesting from Alpha Centauri Kids. Uh, It was a video of a 3D video of him in a emergency room where he was like on his deathbed, right? Mm -hmm. And the collector of that token was given the option to pull the plug on him to make his artwork more valuable or to like let him stay there. Uh, The collector paid... They got the, the video asset. They decided to pull the plug on him. Had no idea of the contract. That token immediately sent to the burn address. It was amazing. So maybe that's yeah. one to add into the curation. A modern, ver- a modern version of the Shreddable Banksy as well. Exactly. Uh, actually, I'm going to add it after, uh, after we hang up because, you know, that, that's one of the best ones that I've seen, you know, and further cements my uh, thesis that actually, you know, rug pulls are conceptual art yeah. and I'm going to die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll die with you there. Sure. Let everybody know where to find you. You're a wonderful Twitter shit poster. They should, oh, yeah. they should follow you. Sure. So first of all, if you want to know more about my baby JPEG, um, you can just uh, head over to jpeg.space. Um, you can also join us on Discord. All the links are there. So jpg.space. Um, and we are soon going to open to more people. We have uh, already, you know, we have a form process, but we're going to open the whole uh, protocol for everyone to curate. So you're all super invited. And uh, of course, if you want to see me meme inappropriate things, uh, I also <laughs> really like doing that. I'm on Twitter uh, at uh, MP, so Maria Paula MP, the real MVP. And yeah, I'd be really happy to connect with everyone. We're going to close it out here. I'm Colborn Bell, Museum of Crypto, Maria Paula, JPEG Space. Uh, thank you to Dementi for having us and hosting this conversation. Breaking news. 